0: My sermon title today is The Danger of a Mountaintop House, or The Danger of Building a Mountaintop Home. And uh, you you remember our Old Testament lesson from Exodus. Uh, It's a powerful lesson, and I just want to touch on that briefly after I say a prayer, and then we'll go into the title, The Danger of the Mountaintop Home. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Holy God, send your Holy Spirit upon this church, upon our ears, and upon our hearts, that we may hear your gospel, that it may... Take root in our souls that it may grow up and flourish for your kingdom. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in the Old Testament today, we we get a picture of Moses going up on the Mount, Mount Sinai, getting the tablets from God and coming back down. But what did you notice about that story? It's great. He came down from the mountain shining with the glory of God. The Shekinah glory of God had altered his appearance in such a way that he had to veil his face because if he went down the mountain to the rest of the Hebrews, he was going to freak them out. That's how, that's how powerful the presence of God was for Moses on the mountain. Have you ever had a mountaintop experience like Moses? Uh, some of us know what it's like to be in the presence of God and to shine with his glory. and, and Mountaintop experiences are necessary They're needed every now and then. We need to meet with God in prayer and worship and Bible study and really to have God lift us up above the muck and the mire of this life. Sometimes we all need a mountaintop experience. However, underneath the mountaintop experience, there is both a hidden danger and a hidden temptation for all of us. And that's what I want to talk to you about, the danger of building your house on the mountaintop. A few years ago, I was the head spiritual advisor at a weekend called Curcio. If you haven't gone on Curcio, I highly recommend it. It's a three-day powerful weekend where you meet with God on the mountaintop. And there was this one woman who clearly came to Curcio depressed. She had lost her zeal and zest for life, and she had had a transforming, powerful experience on those three days. So when she came to me on the last day in tears... With a face that shone with concern and worry, I wondered what in the world could be the matter? She shared with me, though, that day, she said, I don't want to go home. I said, why don't you want to go home? And she said, well, on my short list is this. <laughs> <laughs> Upstaged by the little one. <laughs> Bless you, Benjamin. Benjamin. Uh, I'm going home to a verbally abusive, unbelieving spouse. I'm going home to two teenage children that no longer listen to what I have to say. I'm going home to a job that I hate and a stack of bills that we cannot pay. She said, I don't want to go home. She said, I've met with Jesus on the mountaintop, and I'm not sure I can take his love back with me. That was her confession. And isn't that the danger of mountaintop experiences? Sometimes we go on the mountaintop and, and we have the danger of thinking that all the Christian life is going to be lived up here somewhere, and the temptation is to stay up here at any cost. I don't know that the love will follow me back into the real world. Today, Peter and James and John are taken up to another mountaintop with Jesus called the Mountain of Transfiguration. And If you have your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 9 this morning. And we're going to be looking mostly at Luke chapter 9 about this mountaintop experience. And if you know anything about the Bible, you know that if you wanted to meet with God, you went up to the mountain, right? Elijah did battle with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel with, when God's power showed up radically. Uh, Abraham nearly sacrificed his son Isaac in worship of the Lord on Mount Moriah. Moriah later would be the mount on which the temple was built, and sacrifices were made to God for for many hundreds of years. Once again, you went up to the mountain to meet with God. Well, let's look at these disciples who went on the mountain to meet with God. In chapter 9, verse 29, we hear these words this morning from Luke. This is how he introduces the scene. He says, Jesus begins to pray, and something happens. Luke says, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. Awesome. Awesome experience. In fact, the word there for altered is metamorphosis. It's the English word uh, from the Greek that we get the word metamorphosis. So Jesus is profoundly altered in such a way that they see right through him to his true nature. And his true nature is God. He's glistening with the Shekinah glory of God. The glory that they had not seen for 600 years since Moses used to go up on the mountain to meet with God. They were experiencing what we say in the creed every week, that Jesus is God from God, light from light, and true God from true God. Man, what a mountaintop experience. And look at verse 30. And behold, two men were up there on the mountain that day talking with Jesus. Man, two Jewish celebrities show up that day, Adam Sandler and Sammy Davis Jr. (laughs) Well, no, not that, Elijah and Moses, okay? But you got Moses, the mac daddy lawgiver, who met with God regularly on the mountain. You got Elijah, who met with God on Mount Carmel, the great prophet, and they're all together with Jesus shining in his glory. It's almost as though you, you wish Luke had that beer commercial narrator in the background saying, it doesn't get any better than this. They're living the high life now. But you'll see that mountaintop experiences are both dangerous and full of temptation. You see that in verse 33 this morning. Peter said to Jesus when he experienced this, he said, Master, it's good that we're all up here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now Luke adds a sidebar comment to that. And the comment is this, not knowing what he said. He's out of his mind. He's not knowing what the theology he's implying. He's not knowing the problems he's addressing by wanting to stay up on the mountain. So, so what is this? What Peter is saying is I want to go back to the Old Testament When we built tents of meeting and we had God contained in a space and we would go and meet with God in smoke and fire and cloud. I want to build three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. In other words, Peter is saying, I want to freeze frame this moment. I want to bask in the glory of this mountaintop experience. I want to hold it up here forever. Peter sort of reminds me of that woman at Curseo. I just don't want to go down the mountain. I don't want to go back to the real world, the broken world, and all of its troubles. Let's just stay up here forever. Peter is clinging to a false hope. And the false hope is that Jesus might not have to go to the cross after all. Now, how do I know that that's in Peter's mind? Well, look at verse 28 today. Luke introduces this entire story with these words. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and James and John, and they went up on the mountain to pray. What happened eight days ago? Well, here's the deal. Luke 9, 18 tells you. It was that day when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're one of the prophets. And then he bore down on them. He said, who do you say that I am? And remember what, Jesus, what Peter said? You are the Christ of God. A plus, great answer. Perfect, Peter. But let me tell you what that means for you and for the world. And in verse 22, he says, Peter, I'm the Christ, but the Son of Man, the Christ, is going to have to suffer and be rejected by elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. He said, that's what it means for me to be the Messiah. And he said, for you as my disciple... He said, if you'll come after me, verse 23, you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your own cross every single day, and follow me. You can't stay on the mountain, Peter. If you're going to live the crucified life, the life of Christ, love's got to be played out in the world. Peter didn't want any of that for Jesus, didn't want any of that for himself. In fact, Matthew and Mark tell us on that day, he turned Jesus to the side and he rebuked him for saying that he must suffer and die. He wanted to live on the mountaintop, right? Luke nine thirty today. Behold, when the two men were talking with Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, that's Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. The word departure there is actually exodus, and we know the end of the story. We know how Jesus is going to make his exodus, right? Through torture and pain and blood and humiliation. As he took our place on the cross of Calvary, we know how the story ends. I think Peter knew how the story ended. I think that's why he said, let's build these booths. Let's stay up here. Let's ride out the glory of the mountaintop experience. In fact, in just a few verses, verse forty-four, Jesus will say to them once again, "Guys, let this sink into your ears." He says, "The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. That's what I came to accomplish, and that's why all church, many churches across the world, will be reading the same story of transfiguration today, because Jesus has to come down the mountain." And as he comes down, he goes to Calvary. And today, we remind ourselves that for the next 40 days, we're going to be walking with Jesus through Lent towards the cross. Now, I spoke of the dangers of mountaintop experiences, right? The first danger is that we get a distorted idea of who Jesus is when we stay on the mountaintop too long. We began to get a false idea that that Jesus came to bless me, that his primary goal in life is to make sure I am a happy person. Isn't that what Peter wanted? He cared more about his personal happiness than God's plan of redemption. Let's stay up on the mountaintop. Now, that may seem foreign to you, but let me tell you, that's called the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says you can live your Christian life on the mountaintop every day. In fact, it says that Jesus wants you to be physically uh, healthy. Jesus wants you to be material-lit rich. He wants you to be personally happy. Jesus came to bless you. Now, that's a distorted view of Jesus, isn't it? I think he came to die for us on a cross, not to bless us and make us happy, materially wealthy. A few weeks ago, I was invited to a tea at 4 p.m. on Sunday afternoon for the Anglican Institute. At the Anglican Institute, the bishop brings archbishops and bishops from all over the world and trains them on high-level leadership so that they can train their fellow clergy on high-level leadership. Now, I am not a tea guy. I am a beer and brats guy. I'm a Diet Coke and chicken wings guy. I'm not a tea guy, so don't tell anybody I went. But but I met this uh, amazing character there. He was the right reverend, Joseph Matungi. Bishop Matungi is actually the arch, one of the bishops of the church of Kenya, the, the Anglican church of Kenya. And over tea and crumpets, we began to discuss. And I said, what is the greatest threat that there is to Christianity in Kenya? You know what he said? He said, and this shocked me more than anything else, he didn't say it was radical Islam, He didn't say it was polygamy or native religions. He didn't say it was poverty or disease. He said it's the prosperity gospel. He said it's the prosperity gospel. He said people are eating it like candy. And it made sense. made sense to me. If you are a a man in in, uh, Kenya and you have a child dying of a disease and you're told that Jesus came to bless you and to put you on a mountaintop and to make you physically healthy and personally happy, then of course You're going to eat it up like candy. And guess what? We're eating it like candy in America, too. Amazingly, uh, the prosperity Jesus is something that we devour left and right. Our tele-evangelists are a who's who of the prosperity gospel in America. Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, T.D. Jakes, and the appropriately named Creflo Dollar. (laughs) If you give to my ministry, God is just waiting to unpack a blessing for you so that you're physically healthy, uh, financially wealthy, and and spiritually happy. So, of course, uh, the main person at this is Joel Osting, who has a church at Lakewood Church in Houston. 45,000 people every week, double the amount that Bill Hybels has at Willow Creek outside of Chicago. Because we want the mountaintop. We want to be up here. We want glory without the cross. We want the mountaintop without living the cruciform life that takes us to the difficult places and shows the love of sacrifice to the world, uh, the sacrificial love of Jesus to the world. So Luke's message is there's a danger of staying up here. The second thing, we not only get a distorted Jesus up there, but we get a distorted self-image And that is the self-image that is about self-love. And self-love is really not love at all, is it? It's narcissism. Jesus came to bless me and to provide for me and to make sure that I am in glory. You know, mothers, you know well that true love isn't about you, right? I mean, it's beautiful when you have a a baby and that baby is well-fed and the diapers are changed and that baby is cooing on your breast at night. But you know that real love is not about you. It's when you go down from the mountain and sacrifice for that child. It's when you stay up with that child who is sick and you clean up vomit from the floor and you caress his head all night, reassuring him that everything's gonna be okay. That's sacrificial love. That's the love of the cross. Married people, you know what love's like when you go down the mountain. Of course, it's easy to love somebody on the honeymoon, candlelight dinners, going out to romantic vacations, but you know when real love starts? When the honeymoon's over and your spouse gets a little older and puts on a few pounds Mm -hmm. and the pressure of life mounts and you're no longer on that honeymoon and you've got to work to love that person sacrificially, that's why you can't stay on the mountain. It's not narcissism. Love's about other people that's what Jesus came to show us. And I can guarantee you this. On Ash Wednesday this week, we're going to have a tenth of the crowd that we have today. And on Monday Thursday, we're going to have a small smattering of people. And on Good Friday, the day on which Jesus died, we'll have a few less than Maundy Thursday. But on Easter Sunday, we'll have a thousand people here. Everybody loves the Easter lilies and the bells and the hallelujahs. They love the joy, but real love is at the cross. We cannot stay on the mountaintop. That's what the gospel teaches us today. And so may this gospel be a reminder to all of us that all of Lent and all of life is about Jesus. Look at verse 35 and 36. God's voice came out of the cloud. This is not about us. And God's voice said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen only to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was there alone. Moses was great. He doesn't compare to Jesus. He faded away. Elijah was wonderful, but he faded out too. Listen only to Jesus. Life is about Jesus. Give everything that you have to Jesus. Life will only make sense when Jesus becomes your all in all. Here's the mathematical equation I want you to take home. Jesus plus anyone or anything in your life equals nothing. Now, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Once he becomes your all in all, he will take you through any valley you may go through. He will be there with you. Paul learned this. Paul learned what, what Peter, it took him a while to learn. But Paul had gone through all of his life in pastoral ministry and he was about to die when he wrote Philippians. And he said to the Philippians, he said, I know what it means to be brought low, to be in the valley. And I know what it's like to abound, to be on the mountaintop. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty on the mountain and being in hunger. I know what it's like to be in abundance and to be in need. And you know what he said? He said, the answer to all is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Paul's not saying that he's going to bless you with financial wealth or happiness or or physical healing. He may do those things. He may do those things. He may bring you to the mountaintop. But he also promises when you're in the valley, he'll come to meet you. 1 Corinthians 13 says that he'll meet you with a love that allows you to bear all things and believe all things and hope all things and allows you to endure all things that life may throw at you. When everything in your life fades away and Jesus is all you have, you'll find that Jesus is all you really needed. His grace is all sufficient. So the prayer in Lent, the first Monday in in Holy Week, is going to be this, and this is our prayer for today as well as I end the sermon. Almighty God, whose dear Son went not up to joy, but first suffered pain, entered not into glory before he was crucified for us. Mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace. Amen. Amen.